Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. Welcome back to FCN's podcast. Emily, what are we talking about today? All right, today we're going to be talking about information gathering before your first. So how much information do you gather before your first meeting? So the first question that I have is, what do you mean by the first meeting? (laughs) Uh, That is a good question. So I think we we could, because I know Garrett used to gather information before even the consultation. But I think in this case, we're talking about your first coaching session. So they've, we're going to- they've, you've had your sales call. They love you. They've signed the contract. They've paid you the $83,000 that you charge. <laughs> Man, I'm rich. Yeah, you're doing well. <laughs> and so now you're having your first consultation. Obviously, all of those were jokes, not the love you part, but the, the $83,000 were, were jokes. But the, okay, so you've, you're having your first actual meeting with the client. Right. So you're prepping for the first meeting and you send them a welcome and you get all of your paperwork in place and you say, okay, you need to fill this out before our first coaching session. And I've heard, I remember reading a lot of posts in the past of kind of both sides. So some people say, oh, I love it when clients respond really well, when you send them a a questionnaire that's really detailed, that has a lot of information. They say, oh, you really care about me. And I've also heard the opposite where they say, I send them a questionnaire and they didn't fill out anything. So maybe the client overwhelmed is what happened in that case. Yeah. So let's say I'm a new coach. Let's start as like a new coach and I'm trying to develop my first questionnaire. What do you think about? Like, how do you decide what to put in that questionnaire? Yeah. So I'm going to answer it for both the new coach and the experienced coach. That's my second question. Okay. Okay. So, okay. (laughs) So we we can go into more detail with the experienced coach, but so we'll, we'll have a follow-up for new and experienced, but I want to start with both of them combined. Okay. (laughs) And that is for no matter how many times you've done this, and oftentimes the more time you've done this, the more important it is that you actually go through this process, right? The answer to that question is the bare minimum possible. That is the answer to the question, the bare minimum possible. Now, does that doesn't mean you've got their name, you've got enough, right? (laughs) Right. It's in that first meeting, what are you trying to accomplish? Right? What is the goal of that first meeting? What are you going to be talking about? What is the agenda? And what do you want to have at the outcome of that first meeting? So it's important to have a bit of a process in place, a plan for what yeah. you plan to talk about. Yeah. And then once you've got that, then we can identify what information do I need prior to the first meeting? Right. So instead of asking, say, for everything you're going to need for the entire coaching session, so let's say you have a six-month program or a three-month program, instead of asking for everything all at once, 
ask for it a little at a time when you need it. Yeah. Now there is a balance. You do want to ask for it all at once at some point because people will lose their steam. <laughs> they'll lose their energy. Right. But for that very first meeting, it's a, it, it's important to try to be minimalistic. Right. Um, I ask for nothing. Absolutely nothing for the first meeting. I'm kind of the same. I'm very similar, I should say. And the reason why is because the first meeting, what we're going to talk about is what are their goals? Yeah. And so the homework that I give them is uh, watch a video in my system on financial goals, on what is money, on you know my definition of purpose, right? And so watch a, a couple of videos. Uh, then I want you to think about what you really want out of this. And I'll have some questions, right? Think about this question. Mm-hmm. Think about this question. Think about this question. But they're not actually going to fill anything out and send it back to me. That's going to be them starting that thought process for their goals. Okay. If, on the other hand, I was going to sit down and say, um, and this is this is actually not a for a beginning of the of the coaching process. This is for financial planning, a second sales meeting, right? If a second sales meeting is required in order for them to be able to actually sit down and figure out, do I want to work with you, right? And that second sales meeting is, we're going to go over your finances, uh, your overall financials, right? Basically high level net worth statement and your current investment accounts. And I'll give you my thoughts on what your current investments look like. Now, again, I'm a financial advisor, so different. Right, a little bit different. Kind of apply that yeah. to yours, right? I'm going to give you my, my thoughts on that. And I'm going to, I'll talk with you about what my investment process, how it would look different and what my thinking is along those lines. So you can get a feel for, do I like that or do I want to stay where I am? Right. Okay, so, so you're getting a little taste of what you're going to give them in a much bigger, in a much bigger way. Yeah. way. Yeah. So in order to do that, the information that I need to gather is what investment accounts do they have and what are the investments within those investment accounts, right? Right. So it's a lot more information. A lot more information. And so it's not that you ask for nothing, right? Just ask them to think about things. And it's also not that you ask for as much as you possibly can, right? It's it's, either one of those can be correct, depending on what you're trying to get out of the meeting. Right. So define the meeting first and then decide. So your second meeting, your second sales meeting, if you have to have it. Okay. Let's say a coach does the same thing mm-hmm. uh, and they have kind of a plan for giving them a little taste of what they would do. So in that case, you would recommend having some kind of a questionnaire that would cover what you would need to do in order to help give them that little taste of your coaching. Yeah. The, the challenge there is you need to really balance how much time it's going to take. Right. Right. So I have some criteria, which is they have to link their accounts in my software, period of end, of end of story, I will not do a second sales meeting off of account statements. 
Um, they have to, um, they also, they have to give me all of the accounts, right? And I have software that does 90% of the work. So I show up to the sales meeting. I know how to use the software. I run through it and we're just looking at the things. I'm not doing any prep time other than five minutes before the meeting, just reviewing the information. Right. Okay. Right. Cause you don't want to spend too much time. Yeah. I'm not going to spend four quiet, hours. Yeah. yeah. Right. And this is something that I, I can very easily see anyone in a service industry <laughs> doing, spending way too much time on a second sales meeting. So if you're a financial coach, number one, I'm not sure how useful that second sales meeting is, but yeah. if you do have it, right, if you do have it, then what you want to identify is not give me all of your budget, give me all of your debt, give me all of your everything, right? Instead, focus in on what did they talk about during that first sales meeting? What was that major pain point? Or look at your niche. What is the major thing that you do? And then identify how can I demonstrate what this ongoing process or this three-month process or this six-month process is going to look like in a very small way using a very small amount of information, <laughs> right? Right. And so if they are really, really focused on, well, yeah, I mean, we're spending way too much money on, on things. Okay, great. What I want, let's say it's a couple, is each of you to give me three items that you believe that you spend too much money on and how much you believe you spend on it. Track the actual expenditures or we go back through the accounts and just list off every time the money was spent and upload that, those transactions, just that small list of transactions. And then you've got that very microcosm, very contained thing, right? right? That you can give advice on essentially. That you can sit down yeah. and you can say, okay, here's what I'm seeing. Let's talk about it, right? right? And that feels like a much more contained thing. What you don't want right. to do is end up saying, well, let's do your entire budget during the second meeting and everything right. else. And it has nothing to do with you've given away too much, right? Because, you know, the value of coaching is what happens after the budget doesn't actually happen in the real world. Right, right. right. It's that you've spent too much time. Yeah on someone that hasn't said yes yet. Yeah. Right. Uh, going back to your first coaching meeting, it's, you know, identify what you're going to want to accomplish. If you want to accomplish an initial budget in the first coaching meeting, then you need to get their transactions, right? If you're yeah. trying to, which I think is way overkill for the first meeting. Yeah. Um, what, what do you look at? So why is it overkill for the first meeting? So what, what to you is important about that first meeting? that you do, you don't ask anything first? Like, why do you wait? For two reasons. Number one, you will find as you have more clients, and this is a danger when people start off is they have the first few clients and then they start to make assumptions about everyone based on a, a sample size of three. You will find that the more you ask, the longer it takes them to schedule that first meeting. Yeah. And that is because a lot of people they feel bad about scheduling the meeting if they don't have everything done. Even if you told them, it doesn't matter. I will manipulate it where I won't actually tell them what I want them to start gathering 
until after the meeting is scheduled. Right. So okay. the meeting's already scheduled. Right. Right? And then I say, here's the stuff I want to have gathered. You don't need to have it gathered by the first meeting, right? So right. don't change the meeting. This is just to have you be able to get ahead on your homework. But none of that is needed for the first meeting, right? In, in my process. If right. in your process, your first meeting is you're going to go over their net worth statement and identify what it is that they, you know, just, just have a conversation about the amount of debt versus the amount of savings that they have, right? If that's what it's going to be, you don't need to necessarily gather all of the information about the APRs and about the minimum payments and everything else, because you've identified it's really just the net worth statement. You're not going to be, if you're not doing a debt plan yet, we don't need the APRs yet. What we need is just list off all the accounts that you have and the amount of money that you owe to all of them. The APR thing is there if you want to, but we're going to get that later. So don't, don't worry about that. I mean, we have a lot of mindset coaches too. So it'd be a similar kind of thing. If they cover mindset in the first meeting, they may have a questionnaire they want them to fill out before, before that meeting. Yeah. And the questionnaire is probably not going to have anything to do with their actual accounts. It's going to have right. to do with what does money mean to you? Yeah. Right. The, the thing that you want to be mindful of is what questions do you want to ask in the questionnaire and what questions do you want to ask face to face because you right. do get two very different answers yeah and you have a situation where you don't have as much of an ability to follow up in the moment based on their gut responses uh, you're following up two weeks later or a week later or two days later or two hours later, right? Whenever they filled out the questionnaire of them having the ability to kind of reflect on the answer that they gave and your follow-up is now no longer going to be that gut reaction. It's going to be more of them having analyzed it. And that's not to say that one is good and one is bad. It's just important to realize you're going to get very a very different conversation that comes out of yeah. that. And you need to determine for yourself what is more valuable. Is it more valuable to get that gut level response and have more of a, you know, a limbic system conversation going on? Or is it more valuable to get that considered response where they've had some time to think about it? And like I said, there's advantages to each. It's not that it's good and one is bad. Yeah. And, and every time I talk to you, I, I kind of think about my process and like, I want to change that. But I, I, I like, because I don't ask the goals questions ahead of time. I ask them during the meeting, but then after the session, I have them do additional work on it. So it's an interesting, different way of looking at it. And, uh, you know, makes me kind of question it, which kind of goes back, I guess, to that original question around a new coach versus a seasoned coach. Mm -hmm. How often do you recommend coaches look back at their process again and say, Am I, am I asking the right questions and do I need to do a full revamp or maybe just tweak a few? How often do you recommend that? So it, it depends on how you define the review, right? I think it's important at every meeting to, especially for a new coach, every single meeting that you have with a client to kind of do a debrief with yourself of, okay, this is what I chose. This is what I did. How did it work with that client? 
right? And kind of really think about the experience that you had, the experience that the client had. Did you get the outcomes that you were hoping for based on your intentional choices of, I want that gut versus that non-gut considered response, right? Right. As an example. And so, so you want to, especially in the beginning, you want to kind of do that with every meeting, but you don't want to change your process with every meeting. So you want to separate it out from the perspective of, I'm going to do a debrief after every meeting. And the purpose of that is data gathering. That, that is not to make decisions or analyze the data. It is literally just data gathering. And then so once the next client might be completely different, right? Yeah, yeah. And then but once I had a bunch of meetings, then I'm going to go back and review that data gathering that I did to be able to decide, you know, maybe after every 10 clients that go through a meeting, okay, I've got 10 pieces of data. You know, that's not even enough for a T-test, but heck, we're going to go forward with it anyways, right? From a statistics <laughs> perspective, but we're going to do it anyway, way. And we're going to, and now I'll go back and take a look at, okay, do I want to make any changes for the next 10, right? As a new yeah. coach, that's something that I think is a worthwhile thing to do. As a more experienced coach, if you've been doing this on a regular basis, I think it's still worthwhile to do those little debriefs after every meeting. Those debriefs are probably shorter and don't take as much time, right? Yeah. It might just be a part of your template for your notes is you write in one sentence or check some boxes, right? And then once a year, look at it and say, yeah. okay, is there anything that I want to adjust or make modifications to? Yeah. You should be making modifications more often in the beginning, but don't do it with every client. Right. And if it takes you a year to get through 10 clients, great. It took you a year. That's when you're going to do your first review. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you, you had way at the beginning of this conversation, you had said something about clients losing steam over time. And so you said at some point you want to gather everything. Now, what did you, what did you mean by that? At some point, you're going to want to gather everything that you possibly can from the client and not have anything missing. So clients right. will have a, have a lot of capacity for doing their, work, their homework early in the process, and their capacity for doing their homework will diminish over time. Yeah. Right? <laughs> this is why there is so much evidence of why a lot of the way people do budgeting doesn't work and the way the budgeting is taught doesn't work because it's create a new budget every single month, allocate everything to the, no one's going to do that for the penny. Yeah. And then, and then close it out at the end of the month. Right. And then close it out at the end of the month and And then start the whole process over again. Right. I'm, yeah. I don't know why you're not budgeting. I'm only giving you eight hours of work a month that right. you have to do, right. right? People will do eight hours of work to get started. Right. Right. In and, the very beginning. And I used to do that because I'm, but I'm a budget geek, right? I like that kind of thing. But even I got worn out over time. Yeah. With my right. own personal budget. So yeah. yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. So the, so you want to take advantage of that early energy and that early energy first couple of meetings, right, is really, really powerful for getting clients to gather all the information that you need. 
And the after that, it gets much, much more difficult for them to gather the information. And, yeah. you know, that it's it's sort of especially true the longer the term the relationship is. Right. So the longer your program is, you have an ongoing program, the less you can expect to get any work out of the client. Because from the client's perspective, at some point, I want you to be doing all the work and just supporting me. I don't want to have to continually do this over and over and over again for the rest of my life. Right? That's part of the value that, that most clients have for the ongoing relationship. Not exactly relevant for the three-month programs or the six-month programs or other things. They're not as relevant, right? Right. You still want to gather as much as you can early on. Right? Early on doesn't mean before the first meeting necessarily. Right. right. And I think, I mean, you establish rapport too. I mean, you get a little rapport with, obviously, with your consultation, hopefully, right? That's the reason they want to work with you. Um, but the first meeting I find to be the one that really, where people really open up and they really feel more comfortable with you. And I think once they get, you get to that point, I feel like it's a little easier to get information from them, at least from my experience. Yeah. And you will establish a lot more rapport in the first actual meeting once they've paid you, because once they've signed the contract and paid you, their walls aren't as up related to how right. hard of a sell, sale are you going to push me toward, right? Because right. you've already got my money. Now we're just having the conversation. Yeah. So there, there are some other walls will go up at, at, in that first meeting, but those walls at least have come down. Yeah. And, and so you will uh, establish more rapport in that second meeting, not only because it's a second meeting, but also because it is a very different dynamic than your first meeting. Yeah. Okay. So this is kind of a big question. Um, and it, you, you had, trying to think of you, earlier in this podcast, you had mentioned a, a couple of things about about the gathering of the information, asking for more information. Um, do you have one software essentially where you collect all the data? Or I guess the, the kind of the bigger question is, is, what's the best way to collect the data? Yeah. Do you collect it all in one location? Do you have it multiple? Do you have different questionnaires? I know a lot of people talk about using like Google Sheets and other kinds of things like that. I know there's some cautions around that as well. So I want to kind of talk through that. Yeah. So from a data gathering perspective, the biggest concern that you have to think about is you know, how potentially dangerous is this data, right? And your perspective on how dangerous the data is, is irrelevant. Just because you can't think of how a criminal can use the data to damage someone doesn't mean it can't be used, right? right. And I, I think that's the really big um, key component is, is what is how do I protect client data, right? How do I make sure that it's not something that is accessible to outside people? Right. Um, and that's, go, go ahead, go ahead. Well, so how do you do that? Like what, what, what is safe and what is not safe? So the safest thing you can do is have a software that is a professional software that has proper encryption built into it so that A, the software actually has the encryption necessary and B that the software uh, that you review and make sure that they're keeping up with encryption standards so that it's the software's responsibility and not yours. 
that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is if you have a Mac, check the box. If you don't have a Mac, download software to encrypt your hard drive. Right. The, it slows down your computer. It slows it down a lot more for a non-PC, or for a non-Mac rather, for a, for a PC. It's one of the core reasons why I switched to Apple for all of my computers is because it's literally when you turn on the computer, one of the boxes that you check is, do you want to encrypt the hard drive? And I don't have to do any other work, right? I like, I don't mind paying a little extra money to be able to check a box. <laughs> my right? husband's going to love you because I refuse to switch, but <laughs> he switched years ago. Yeah. Um, I still make fun of people who have Macs. So when I teach, you know, <laughs> I, when, when students say, oh, I'm having trouble uploading the assignment, I'll say, well, do you, do you have a Mac or do you have a real computer? Right. So I, I still make fun of people who have, um, but you know, the, the having proper encryption is a really important thing. The second thing that you want to think about is just the ease of collecting that data and the ease of collecting the software, the information and the ease of being able to then store it and use it. So I have a CRM. And during the first few meetings, I don't really put anything into the CRM from the meeting at all. And the reason why is because if I'm putting something into the CRM, the customer relationship management software, yeah. then that means that I have to transition it back over to my financial planning software or my right. coaching software. And that means that after an hour long meeting, I've got 30 minutes of typing to do. Yeah. And that greatly reduces the amount of compensation that I'm getting per my hour of time. Okay? Right. Whereas if I've got the software and we're going through goals and I just have the goals module of the software up and as we're having conversations, I'm typing directly into that. I don't have any additional work to do afterward, right? right. If we're going through and identifying, um, you know, what their accounts are and I'm listing the accounts off in the software, right? Any of the manual accounts and I don't have anything I have to do for that, right? And so a lot of it, you know, I, I know Garrett's process is, I think it's still his process, is during the first or the second meeting, he just has the software opened with them and his process of saying, okay, well, tell me about this account, so on and so forth, is you connect it. And while we're waiting for money coach to get it fully connected, which could be waiting for the bank to send a, you know, MFA code or something else, right? Right. That's that, that time waiting is when we're going to talk about the account. Okay. So you have this credit. Yeah. Tell me about where you got it, why you got it while it's waiting. Right. So he's actually connecting the accounts in the software yeah. while he's doing his meeting. Yeah. I do that too. Right. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah. And so that is a, you know, that uh, the more you can have where the work that you do happens in the meeting and the, and you, and if you're thinking, well, yeah, but I have to pause and wait. 
awesome. That's your time to be able to talk to the client during that. Yeah. The more you preserve your hours and your, your compensation per hour of your time. I don't, I'm not a big fan of fill out this form. And how do people do that? Yeah. What do you recommend for people that do that? So they either so, use Google, like, uh, like Google forms or. So I'm not a big fan of, of Google because I don't like their security procedures yeah. in general. Uh, I like Google for other things, right. But I don't yeah. like security procedures. Uh, so I'm not a huge fan of their, so I have a Google drive for like things that I don't really care about, right? But for all of my client stuff, um, I use OneDrive because it has much better security features. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that people who are using Google Drive are horrible people or whatever else. It's just for me, it's it's more risk than I want to take, right? Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's the easy, simple starting place, especially for a coach who doesn't want to spend a lot of money on software. Right. Um, so, you know, I mean, it's, it's something I, even I used it in the beginning. Right. And it, it yeah. was you, your teaching that <laughs> made me realize, oh, wait, this is not a good way to do it. And email as, as I don't know if people have been watching the news, but they keep telling us email is not secure. Right. And um, I feel like hopefully people are starting to hear that more and more because um, email really is not secure. We have to be really careful with that. Yeah. So the more you can gather it in a secure place, the better for you and the better for the clients. Um, now the question is, okay, well, what if I'm gathering just their, you know, their contact information? The, my, my answer to that is you want to, I, I would recommend doing what bank regulations require. Okay. So bank, financial institutions, so on and so forth. The regulations require, if it is personal, non-public information, then you need to keep it in a very secure place and make sure that it does not leak out, right? Personal non-public information is defined as two components. Okay. Does the information, not just one piece of information, but everything that you're gathering, right? Does it have anything that can be used to identify an individual? Okay. So a person's name right. can identify right. an individual. Their email address. Their, their phone number, their home address, all of those things can be used to identify an individual, right? So yeah. it's not just, I look at this and I know who the individual is. It's, could I use this to then be able to take another step or two to get the information about who that is? Right. Okay, so that's the yeah. first step. Well, and a lot of companies gather that information. And, and I think that maybe justifies and, and for some people like, oh, other people are doing it. So it's okay. And I think it's, it's what you said. It's about how much risk you want to take, right? It's, it's, up to, you know, it's your yeah. decision. I guess. Well, so but. that's the first thing. The second thing is, is it non-public? Right. Right. Non-public means, could you find it by searching a government database? Right. Right. So the fact that they bank at Chase, the fact that they have an account at Chase, that is non-public information. Notice I didn't say what type of account, how much they owed, what the APR was, any of that. Just the fact that they have an account somewhere is non-public yeah. information. Right? So, and the thing that you want to be really, really careful of to going to your point is just because other companies are doing it does not mean it's a good idea for you. First, right. lots of companies do really shady stuff. I mean, <laughs> hell, 
one of the big uh, companies, uh, one of the big uh, credit bureaus basically disclosed all of the private information of Equifax exposed all of the private information of almost everyone because they set their password to password. And no, it wasn't that ridiculous, but it was pretty damn close to ridiculous. They had left everything, a bunch of stuff as the default settings. I didn't realize that's how it happened. Okay. Well, that was one of the components that led to it. Yeah. There was a, there was a bunch of stuff. It was a calamity of errors. Um, But you know, just because another company is doing it does not mean it's a good idea because companies do stupid stuff all the time. Companies make mistakes. But secondly, just because someone is collecting something on their website and you're planning to collect something on your website on their website does not mean that those two are the same thing. Because you don't know what the processes are behind the scenes to protect that data. And how that relates to the processes that you're using for like a Google form. Right. And so we have to be careful of, oh, well, Google form allows you to collect data just like, you know, just like this financial planning software does. But the financial planning software is doing a lot more work to make sure that that data is is secure than Google forms does. And this is not Google being a bad company. This is they are used for very, very different things. Google Google is developing a form that is easily usable across all sorts of platforms by anyone. It's a very different, uh, when you tell your developers to do something, that is a very different set of directions and objectives than uh, we're going to be doing something that financial advisors are going to collect data from their clients and the only people they're going to have access to it are those two people. And the only things they're going to have is this platform. They're just not going to be used on any other website. It, you know, it's just a completely right. different environment. And it's not to say that Google Forms is you know, the same thing as taking out a billboard, but it's not the same thing as collecting data through a software or right. Apple collecting your account information when you are buying a product from them, buying an iPhone from them. Right. It's, it's not the same thing. There's a reason why Apple doesn't use Google Forms to collect that information. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So we're kind of, we have a little bit of time. Yeah. We have a little, no, we're a little bit over time. Just do you, can you think of any other challenges around gathering client information that you wanted to share? Yeah. I think that the biggest thing is don't expect to get it all in one big hit, right? A lot of people say, here's a form, fill it all out. I will have my first meeting with you once you've got the entire thing filled out. I made that mistake once. Yeah. And how did it go? How did it go? I didn't. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the... In that case, I changed my process immediately. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, what you want to do is you want to think, okay, what do I actually need for this meeting? When do I need to get the rest of it? Again, we don't want to drag it out over the entire six months or three months of your program, but when do I want to get the rest of it? And having a healthy expectation that if you say, I'm going to give you the, give you everything that I, we need to gather by the first meet, at, at the first meeting. And by the second meeting, everything needs to get done. So you have everything for the second meeting. 
you need to have an, a healthy expectation that it's not going to happen. Yeah. And that, that you have to have a mechanism for helping the client to gather the information, whether that mechanism is the second meeting is going to be you going through that with them and, and identifying for the first five or 10 or 15 minutes of the meeting, what needs still needs to get done and, and helping the client with it, whether that's in between your first and second meeting, you send an email out that says, Hey, how are things going? If you're having trouble with any of it, schedule a workshop with me. We'll do it the 15 minute workshop and send them a calendar link, right? Whether it's hiring someone to have a second meeting for the client, but a zero meeting for you to sit down and go through it with them. Right? There's all sorts of different ways right. that you accom or accommodate this, but the client is not going to check off everything on the box easily yeah. with no stress. Because if they were going to do that, they probably wouldn't need to hire you. Right. That's true. They're hiring you because maybe they're disorganized. Maybe they don't really know where all their accounts are. Maybe they don't know how to access online banking. Maybe they're just emotionally not able to actually deal with these things. Right. There's lots of clients of like why, that. They, why they might be hiring you, right? Right. He's like, I can't, I had one client that couldn't, he said, anytime I'd sit down to actually look at anything financial, he'd just get really stressed and just have to stand up and walk away. So it was big. It was big that he was even willing to sit and meet with me. So yeah, I didn't ask them for anything extra. <laughs> I just, I asked questions during the, the coaching sessions, essentially, because that was the only way to get it. And it worked. It worked out okay. I asked it when I needed it. Yeah. And that's, that's a really, really key thing is just, you know, meeting the client where they are and realizing that just because you enjoy doing it, right, you're not your own client. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, any final thoughts? No, not really. Okay. <laughs> Great. Covered all the over. If people have answer questions, we can, uh, we can do another episode. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, it also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall there if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.